Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. You're listening to the best of Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. A couple of house cleaning notes, by the way. Alan Carpet going to join us in just a couple of minutes. But number one, I wanted to say good morning to a couple of folks. Alex Armbruster and Jeremy Bullard, who are very active on social media and um, about this program and appear to listen every single morning, and it's very much appreciated. So good morning to them. And to all of you who are listening, we very much appreciate it. Also, wanted to point out Penn Station sent out the tweet yesterday, and thank you to John Griffin here at our station for putting it together. We are once again, Kevin, going to be part of the Elio Drive for Five with Penn Station East Coast Subs. Nice. I think that will include probably having Elio on this program a few times, and <clears throat> if you go to Penn Station to get, you know, who doesn't love going there and getting the chicken teriyaki in particular, I suggest, but you can register to not only win a free sub, but also with Shank Racing and uh, Elio, a carb day experience, which will include, I'm going to be showing people around the garage area and talking with them for an hour or so and giving them kind of a behind the scenes glimpse of what takes place at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway on carb day. I'll probably just so, be drinking beer. <laughs> you'll be drinking carbs, right? Yes. Uh huh. Um, also NHL playoffs, who you rooting for? I, I, I'm kind of torn because the flames are my team, right? I've always kind of liked both the Rangers and the Islanders. And that seems ridiculous, right? It's not like saying you're a Cubs and a White Sox fan. Yeah, and I'm like, do I just jump on the Bruins wagon after what they just had during this regular season? Yeah, I'd like to experience some winning sure. for your teams yeah, this uh-huh. year. I feel like with the A's, I should go the other end of the spectrum. <laughs> That's the fine. And after the Notre Dame basketball season. That you realize just... that the winner of the President's Cup very rarely Endure. wins the Stanley I, Cup. But sure. you want to take them? You got Bruins? Uh, I, I'm going Islanders. Let Mark, me take a closer look at it. Give me the lightning. <laughs> I mean, you talk about a wagon, Mark. Well, <laughs> I mean, okay. Come on. Jeez. <laughs> Wait a yeah. Mark's going to cheer for Alabama. I'm the Winnipeg Mark, Jets. Mark, Mark's the Jimmy Cook of the give show. Give me the here. oh please. Give me the uh, give me the Kraken. Then there you go. It's Kraken, right? No, it's not. <laughs> you are incorrect, sir. I, I know it's Kraken. It's like a creature of the sea, right? And it's Alan Carpick. Correct. Joining us right now uh, on 3.com, the president and publisher there. Talk a little Zach Eady declaring for the NBA draft, but maintaining, of course, um, the possibility to return to West Lafayette. Alan, uh, the level of surprise from this move by Zach Eady? Uh, virtually none, to be honest, guys. I mean, it, this was not not the least bit of a surprise. It, yeah, it's happened to many Purdue guys over the years. A lot of players that they go in and test the waters in the NBA. And I, I think with Zach Eady, you know, if you're him, you see what see what the heck's out there. This is a great evaluation time, and if things come come in better than maybe expected, then. Uh, you, you make the leap, but I, I just think it was not a surprise at all. And uh, Purdue fans will have to be patient over the next few weeks to see what, how it all shakes out. Alan, in your gut here with Zach Eady, and I don't know that any of us know that. I don't know that Zach Eady knows this answer, but I, I think it's safe to say right now. And you and I have talked about this on the air. I think in previous conversations, 
Edie probably slots as a pretty sure second-round pick. I don't know that he can play his way into the first round at no fault of his, just because of the the deteriorated value of the position that he plays at the NBA level. But if you had to guess, Alan, he needs to be assured of what area in order to to stay in the draft. Well, I, I would think it's a guaranteed contract of some sort. I mean, it, it does come down to – but, you know, in today's NIL world, it does come down to what opportunities you'll have. Uh, Purdue's worked through uh, some of the, as I understand it, some of the challenges that it has to deal with with respect to him being a Canadian citizen, uh, that he'll have opportunities at Purdue as well. That's what gives Purdue, I think, a reasonable chance in this whole situation to for him to return. There's no doubt he's been very open about the fact that he likes Likes Purdue. Uh, I loves Purdue. His mom loves Purdue. Uh, I, it certainly didn't finish on the level uh, the way the season ended last year. That uh, he's not to. He all his business isn't finished as a college player. But you know, it's really hard to predict exactly what he's going to do until he gets in and sees how he stacks up. But you're right. That's the general consensus. Is he's not a guy that uh, is going to jump into the first round. And does he want to? Uh, stay in college, a place that he's come to like very much, and finish up his business here in West Lafayette, uh, as opposed to maybe playing in the G League somewhere. The the, the bus rides aren't as uh, glamorous as what you might get in college basketball, as we always say. Alan, could you explain the whole international visa, NIL ramifications maybe a little bit more? It's pretty confusing to me, like, but it seems like the fact that Zach Eady was just National Player of the Year, all of a sudden his status as international student athlete has risen to the point where he would be rewarded for that. Maybe if, you know, in, I don't know, William Berg's case, as I think he's from Sweden or something, you know, a player that maybe is not at Zach Eady's status wouldn't necessarily be allowed to benefit as much. Do I have that right, or am I totally off base? Well, as I understand it, and I'm not an expert on it, but it has something to do, I believe, with his visa or his ability to stay in the United States and what he can do and what he can earn here and based on his scholarship and all of those kinds of issues. And as I understand it, Purdue has worked through a lot of those issues. I don't know, you know, Tom Mitchell from the compliance staff on campus. is. A, I know it's kind of been a full-time job to get that figured out. And from what we understand, uh, they've made progress. But that's what I believe it has some things to do with, with, with respect to his ability to be in the United States and, and uh, what limitations there are on that. Do we get uh, Alan Karpik with us, by the way, from On3.com, Golden Black here, covering um – Purdue, do we get any sort of vibe that the Zach Eady decision here could impact a transfer portal decision on Trey Kaufman, Wren, Caleb First, anyone else on Purdue's roster? I don't think so. I mean, there's no, there's no, you know, those guys are both pretty committed to what's going on. You know, I, the first, the second you say that, and somebody will be in the transfer portal by sundown. So, <laughs> uh, but it does seem like that that's. Uh, that that's where it stands at this point. Yes, those guys will be impacted uh, from a playing time standpoint, certainly. But I also think Purdue may play a little bit differently next year. I have some ability to bring those guys out a little bit more with another year of experience on the court. Who knows whether Zach Eady may? I wouldn't be shocked if he, did, you know, becomes a little bit more of a spot up shooter if he stays in West Lafayette because uh, that's kind of what Purdue did with. 
Caleb Swanigan back in the day, different type of player, I understand, but guys that uh, they want to put them in the best position to show what they can do in professional basketball. Uh, but, no, I, I don't think there's anything imminent there at all. Uh, but, again, uh, uh, anything is possible in the NIL – excuse me, in the, well, in the NIL world, world, but also in the transfer portal world. But there's no indication that anything's changing there. Alan Karpik is our guest. He's on the Payless Liquors Hotline. You can read his work, of course, at on3.com where. And, Alan, I very much appreciate it. Uh, you guys did us a solid by kind of running uh, over and letting people know about our interview with Ryan Walters from earlier this week. Um, so I'm curious just your overall impressions of as he gets familiar with the Purdue football roster, maybe it's too early to know this, but what have been your initial impressions in, in terms of Ryan Walters and how – how things might look different for Purdue football? Well, I think it's youth um, or relative to, uh, you know, being 37 years old and full of energy. Not that us older folks aren't full of energy, but he certainly has brought that to the table. Uh, he's very uh, strategic in what he's about, uh, even the fact that uh, – He's not not about wasted motion. That's clear when his choice is to, to not have a spring game, partly due to the number of uh, not injuries of players that are going to be able to play, but also the fact that he's trying to keep his eye on the prize that to uh, have his team in the best position possible for that opener against Fresno State in a very difficult schedule this year with Ohio State and Michigan coming back on it. But I've been impressed with him. I think I think all the all the signs, especially in recruiting, are positive. He's getting. Uh, uh, high level of talent in at least to visit in West Lafayette. He's had some commitments. Uh, I think that that's what they want. They wanted a guy that, uh, yes, he's a defensive guy, but he's a young mind. Uh, uh, he's when you're 37 years old, I guess you're hip by definition, and he seems to be that way. The players seem to uh, seem to have really responded well to him. But uh, you know, the proof's going to be in what happens. Obviously, when the season starts, and he's going to he fully admits to it. I think he's self aware. That's another thing that impresses me a little bit. He's aware that uh, this is his first uh, rodeo as a head coach, and he's learning things on a daily basis. He admits that all the time. I think that's a good thing. Uh, but en- but energy, youthfulness. And the ability to, to connect to players are probably the three biggest positives from uh, Ryan Walters to date. Alan, I do want to go back to Zach Eady for, for for a second here. Do you get the vibe like he's leaning one way or the other on this? I, I don't, and, and he certainly has said that even after after Purdue's uh, meltdown in the NCAA tournament. That uh, you know he's just talked about. Uh, he's got options in front of him. He's a very stoic. Uh, guy, uh, at least uh, at least outwardly, and he is a guy that uh, uh, thinks about things a, a great deal. Uh, he's also a guy that just doesn't like to call, you know, pull a lot of attention his way. Uh, I just don't have a real feel for it. I just think if there's an opportunity there and it's better, he th- he and, and and his family think it's better than what he has in West Lafayette. He'll probably take it. But I I do think he, he if any guy is a national player of the year, I know Oscar Sheboy came back last year as well. Uh, comes back though, it's Zach Eady just because of his affinity for his teammates, and and that's real. He's talked about that all year. Uh, there aren't many guys that are seven foot four. It, it seems that are kind of uh, vocal leaders or at least quiet leaders of the basketball team. He was very much that way, uh, and I think he'd like to finish uh, his career up on a heck of a lot better note than he did uh, in Columbus back in uh, March. Alan, I know obviously you guys will be 
keeping track of that storyline and then obviously the football one as well. What else you got cooking it on 3.com? Well, it, it, with the transfer portal being open now, it, uh, it up, to, up to the end of the what, April 30th, uh, it's head on a swivel time. I mean, everything, everything. there will be some pretty players that will certainly at the end of spring practice this week, uh, no doubt will we'll, we'll enter the portal, um, and Purdue will certainly be trying to make some roster moves. So that's probably about as much of anything. And obviously, too, uh, basketball recruiting and, and uh, basketball camps, those types of things uh, will we'll certainly dot the uh, landscape of our site over the next few weeks. Again, Alan Carpet, president and publisher um, over at On3, Golden Black, uh, coverage of Purdue. Alan, as always, a 7 o'clock hour. Uh, you are consistent with your time slot. We appreciate it, and uh, we'll look forward to the offseason coverage here. All right, sounds great. Thanks so much, guys. It's Alan Carpet. Uh, Jake, we talked about it probably this time last year with Trace Jackson Davis. You know, the trend here in the past couple of years with big guys in college basketball, they return. Armando yeah. Baycott, he returned. He re- he's re- he's returning again. Oscar Shibway, who was brought up from from Kentucky, he returns. You know, Drew Timmy at Gonzaga. Obviously, Trace, um, you know, probably for two reasons. One, NIL. The other, we see how the big man is being devalued a little bit more in the NBA. So, for those reasons, I think that would give Purdue fans some optimism. And Zach Eady strikes me as a guy... Jake, to be pretty self-motivated to get that sour taste out of his mouth and return. Yeah, I would agree with that latter part in particular, right? I mean, you, boy, that is just such a such a thing to have hang over you. You know that. I mean, that back to back years of yeah. losing to, to just a smaller school it's that, quite the that embarrassment. were kind of the laughing stock, right? I mean, St. Peter's at least there was, you know, I mean they. Made the Sweet 16. Yeah, and they beat some pretty darn good teams. Well, they made the Elite Eight, right? I mean, they... Yeah, I meant Purdue had gotten to the yeah, yeah, Sweet 16. Exactly that. But, you know, so... I would think that has to fuel you a little bit, but at the same time also feel like such a faraway mountain. You know what I mean? And does that pressure then every single time that Purdue... That there's a, a close game next year is that, oh gosh, you know, it's going to collapse on us again. Here we go again. Because the narrative's now out there, right? The narrative's out there that, like, Purdue, it doesn't matter what they do. They can't win the big one, et cetera. Does that weigh on them? I think all that factors in. And do you worry at all about injury if you're Edie, you know, with big guys and going back to school? Uh, boy, that Purdue football schedule, I know we brought this up with Ryan Walters earlier. And, you know, Purdue certainly benefits from being in the Big Ten West. Their schedule this year, Fresno State at Virginia Tech, Syracuse. There's the non-conference. And then the start to Big Ten play. Wisconsin, Illinois, at Iowa, Ohio State, at Nebraska, at Michigan. So you look at the non-conference, you know, no just like guaranteed victory. You would hope Fresno State at home would certainly be that. But the crossover, at Michigan and Ohio State. Last year you benefited. Yes, you had Penn State, but you know that was in your own uh, place to open up the season. Uh, you're not getting that in Ryan Walters' first season. Speaking of injuries, you ever had tennis elbow? No, but I've got a buddy that... Um, ha- has had that and and complains really hard. I do have to admit that yesterday I was walking back to my do car. Do I need to call QC Kinetics? Well, I, I can uh, three one seven five five nine Payne. By the way, uh, okay. eight eight o'clock hour. I'll I'll shed a little bit more light on that front. I was walking back to my car in Bloomington yesterday. I mean, picture yesterday on a college campus. Yeah. I mean, heavenly. Yeah. Just and incredible. 
So I stayed after class for about 30 minutes. One of my students is walking towards me. He has totally changed his outfit from what he wore to class. I mean, he's got backwards hat, sunglasses, jersey, shorts. I mean, he's going to upstairs. Are you joining? I'm like, uh, no. <laughs> yeah. I won't be joining. I like give him like a little fist pound. What do I do? Just trip on the curb in front of me. That's good, yeah. Just smoke the curb. I mean, just right foot, right into the curb. No, these, ah! these girls behind Connor. Connor's my student. They start giggling at me. I'm like, could I look more old in a five-second period than that right now? Well, the wait another five years when that trip leads you to, that sidelines you for three days. Jake, I, I iced the foot last night. I might have done it. This morning before uh-huh. coming in for work, Maddie now, just started laughing meanwhile, at me. So you get me hooked up at, the, at QC Kinetics, and I'll get you hooked up with the Goodfeet store. That. And we're, you, we Kevin, have a handshake agreement here. That's right. Kevin, that's right. questionable for the 9 o'clock Of course, hour. we're both going to hurt each other by the handshake, <laughs> yeah. but that's okay. You know, just uh, put me on the same list with Giannis right now and John Moran, maybe Sabonis with the sternum, but um, certainly not one of my um, finer moments, to say the least. Uh, 8 o'clock hour coming up. Stephen Holder, talk a little Colts draft. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Our next guest added um, something that now we both have in common. I believe it was over the weekend, potentially, maybe earlier this week. Um, Stephen Holder from ESPN.com is with us. Stephen, I'll never forget um, the day when Kelly Tilly, the head of the Colts cheerleading program, asked me to be a judge uh, for the Colts cheerleading squad. And I looked at her like, do you have the wrong person? Um, I, I was dumbfounded by that move by her. And I'll never forget also like when we'd gather in the room to discuss the potential candidates and thinking, when do I interject and what the hell should I say? Uh, was was it equally as awkward for you as it was for me? <laughs> yeah, because at first I was like, wait a minute. You know I don't know what I'm doing, right? Mm-hmm, right. <laughs> and they were like, yeah, we're fine with that. Oh, so basically you're saying I'm a complete idiot, but you're good with that. All right, well, thanks. Um, no, but it was definitely um, surprising for sure. And it was actually kind of stressful because it was hard. I was like, I like them all. They're yeah, all good. There's not a lot. I don't know if you can compare it to the Colts quarterback See, process I'd, because I, I don't know if it, the, there's a lot of separation. Uh, I, I'd be Simon Cowell. I, I'd be up there like, <clears throat> what are we doing here? What, what are we doing here? You, you, you sidestep too much to the left there. What, what, what's going on? <laughs> I mean, there were there were really, I think out of 46 candidates, uh, there were only like two or three where I was like, nah, nah, that, that's not the one. And the rest I was kind of like, yeah, I could see it. Totally. And then there were uh, a handful where I was like, oh, yeah, she's off the charts. She's good. And, you know, so that's basically what I what I ended up with, was, which was, all right, 
90 percent of you are good in my book <laughs> so but they can't all make it so it's tough and it's also like a huge deal i mean uh, maybe i'm saying the is. obvious there but like obviously you imagine you know your whole life is spent doing some sort of whatever cheerleading dance however you want to call it and you're trying to make an NFL team. Um, yep. Boy, the, the the emotions, I was like, gosh, this is way too much responsibility for me. I need to go home and, and you know, think about myself after this. <laughs> no, I, I think that's something that, that a lot of people don't necessarily uh, appreciate is the fact that it is a big deal for these young women. And, you know, I, I think not just that it's a big deal, but also the fact that, you know, some of them, the sacrifices they are making or willing to make, you know, if they make the team. So I, there was one young woman who uh, was going to drive in for, from Chicago to, uh, to, to perform. And I'm like, you're going to do this every week? <laughs> like, yeah, she was. And, yeah. and these are on top of normal jobs that they all have. Oh, or, yeah. you know, some, some of them are still in school, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Some, some are pretty accomplished. You know, we had a couple of physicians. Um, we, a couple who were in dental school. And I was like, all right, I could barely, like, make it through, you know, you know, anatomy class in college, you know? So, anyway, yeah, it was it was pretty impressive. And, again, no idea why they called me. But, um, yeah, I was I was more than happy. Especially because some of the people on the panel, they're, they're either – a lot of them are either former Colts cheerleaders or have some expertise in dance, um, whether it's – ballet or you know modern dance or something and i was just sitting there like um uh, i write about football yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> so i struggled I to do the butterfly not, stretch yeah i definitely <laughs> did not feel uh like i was in the right room <laughs> steven yesterday i was shopping and i'm in the store where i'm shopping and all of a sudden the manager starts running around frantically and i'm like what's going on and she said well we can't figure it out but the fire department's on the way because the alarms detect smoke and we don't know where it's coming from. And the fire the fire trucks rolled up. It was very exciting. And in fact, it was like some sort of a faulty thing. But I thought, is this symbolic of the NFL draft and the fact that this is the time now where there's smoke all over the place that's being detected, but there's no actual fire? And that includes this latest narrative that perhaps – Picks two and three aren't even going to be a quarterback, and that the Colts are going to get their choice of the second quarterback in the draft. Your thoughts on that smoke? Okay, so I'm glad you asked. I I do think there is smoke here. I think it's I think it's a lot of uh, I think some of it is is along the lines of what you are describing. However, however, I heard something yesterday afternoon that kind of changed my opinion on Houston in particular and whether they might do what is being speculated, which is not pick CJ Stroud or pick another, uh, pick another position even um, outside of quarterback. I heard some, some evidence or I heard, I heard a supporting argument for that, that actually made some sense. And, and I think there's some, possible truth to it let's put it that way i don't even want to say the argument makes sense because i disagree i think they should take a quarterback because i think their franchise doesn't really have any direction right now but be that as it may that's not the point the point is would they possibly do what is being speculated and i think the answer is yes i mean look i get that 
there is a lot of smoke right now, but uh, there are some, the people who are saying this, this is the other thing that's important here. The people who are saying this are reputable. And, and look, we all, you know, Adam Schefter is not infallible, but when I hear Adam, and he's not the only one, but I hear Adam go on TV and go to the mat on this and say, listen, I'm telling you, do not rule this out. It's because someone with some validity and probably multiple people are telling him that. So as much as I can't believe it, and as much as I think it's absolutely ridiculous that Houston would do that, it doesn't matter. I think there's some chance that it's true. Uh, and, and again, he's not the only one. And I heard from someone yesterday who also reflected that information. And I, I was flabbergasted. But again, I think there's some truth to it. Don't ask me why. I can't help you with that. But that's what I can tell you. Okay, l- l- let's play out this sort of scenario then, Stephen. Will Anderson goes to, to Houston. I mean, by all accounts, this is a guy that could be a double-digit sack guy for a decade. I mean, I, I, I right. can understand some of that thinking for D'Amico Ryans. What yeah, I can't really... coach. Yeah, what, what I can't really understand is in Arizona at three sitting there and making a selection with a player that I don't think we've talked about any player in this draft process, non-quarterback-wise, that necessarily is a slam dunk to go in the top five outside of Anderson. You know, I yes, Tyree right. Wilson from Texas Tech is, you know, potentially there's some corners that might be in that range, but there's not a left tackle. There's not a wide out. There's not this obvious name that we've talked about through this process. So my question then becomes, isn't someone going to trade up to get C.J. Stroud? Like, what am I missing on C.J. Stroud right now that all of a sudden could take him all the way down to number four and the Colts could have Stroud, Anthony Richardson, and Will Levis all to pick from? Well, now that's where I, that's where I, I actually do agree that, that it's nonsense, <laughs> okay? Because if you're Arizona, at that point, I'm just taking whatever I can get in, for, in a trade because – they have no incentive to make that pick because who would it be? As you said, right? I mean, not that they, it's not as if they don't need the talent, right? They definitely have a deficiency of talent, but they're not winning anything this year. They need multiple players. And for them, the move is trade down, get multiple picks and go restock your roster and, and replace the players who are, who all apparently want out of Arizona <laughs> because apparently everyone wants out of Arizona. <laughs> right. So they're going to have some, they're going to have some, some key players to replace here the way they're going. My, so I agree with that. I, I don't understand what motivation Arizona would have uh, under that scenario to make the pick. Cause Will Anderson, I get it. They're going to run and turn the card in. If, if they don't have any takers, I'm running to the, to the podium to, to turn the card in for Will Anderson if you're Arizona, right? You're, you're going to be fine with that. You'll sleep fine on next Thursday night. But if it's not him, I, I don't know who, where they go. Uh, then I, it does feel like you're kind of settling because I think the, the drop-off does seem somewhat significant after that in terms of the non-quarterbacks, right? Unless, you, unless you're just okay with Jalen Carter, and I can't say where things stand with him. There's just so much. Uh, to that situation, so it's it's interesting. I do think the, the Arizona the Arizona scenario gets really interesting there if if CJ Stroud does not go to Houston. Again, Stephen Holder, ESPN.com, with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Let's focus on Stroud here. Um, you know, by all accounts, the most accurate quarterback in this draft. We saw what he did against Georgia in the national semifinal. 
Um, where is the nitpicking that's starting to build here? Is it that it was too easy for him at Ohio State, too much of a talent advantage he had on a routine basis? Are there questions about his coachability? Have you heard anything on the Stroud front that could all of a sudden kind of remove him from the 1A, 1B sort of thought process we've had all along with Bryce Young? The, the only thing, the only thing that's been kind of speculated that I that, that maybe there's some validity to that I know is I, I think people are asking maybe about coachability. Now I don't know anything about it personally, right? So I'm not going to speculate. I, I do not know that, but uh, that is if that is a question. Okay, if if that is a question, then that is a question you really have to vet when it comes to your quarterback for obvious reasons, right? So I just can't speak to it personally because I don't have that information and I don't have that intel. But but if that's an issue, then I, I somewhat get it. But I would say this, when it comes to the fit from a football perspective, now let's just play this out as you said, if he were to get to number four, right? And I have no idea whether that's going to happen. I think it's a little bit far-fetched, but, but not out of the question. If he gets to number four, I love the fit for the Colts. And I, I know that's kind of obvious. People know that he's really talented. But, I mean, specifically for the Colts, he gives you, you know, we talk about Anthony Richardson's downfield ability, but, but you get that to some degree with C.J. Stroud. And you also get the, the intermediate and uh, short-range accuracy as well. Uh, he, you know, I think his, his pocket presence, I guess, at times could be better. And, and he certainly isn't the athlete that some of these other guys are. He's probably of the four, probably the, the least impressive athlete. And so, so that's something you'd have, to, you'd have to get your head around that if you're the Colts. And, and you'd have to determine how important that is to you. But in terms of uh, being the, the kind of quarterback that Shane Steichen wants, he wants to be. He wants to have an aggressive downfield, up tempo attack. I mean, you can get that with C.J. Stroud. You know, I was thinking about this, Stephen. Stephen Holder's our guest. He's on the Payless Sickers Hotline. You can read his work, of course, at ESPN.com, covering the Colts in the NFL. I've also heard, Stephen, we played some audio yesterday, I believe, from Michael Lombardi talking about question marks of C.J. Stroud's coachability. I know nothing of that. I'm not at practices at Ohio State or wherever it may be. But I got to thinking about this, Stephen. If there are league-wide question marks about the coachability of C.J. Stroud, then theoretically that means that critique would be coming from inquiry from his coaches. The only person that would be able to speak to the coachability of C.J. Stroud would be people who have been assigned the responsibility of coaching him, right? That's a fair assessment. So so if I am, and I'm not saying this to pick on Ohio State, but how uncoachable must a guy be to have that narrative floating about him because it's in the best interest of Ohio State to speak him up? Because if I'm a kid that's coming out right now that's a big-time recruit and I'm looking at where to go and I'm going, wait a minute, here's a guy that's leaving Ohio State and his coaches are actually hurting his NFL value by speaking about him? I don't want to go play for that that group. So where would it be coming from? I think your guess is pretty reasonable. Let's put it that way, right? I mean, neither of us have 
have had that conversation. So I can't speak to it personally. And I know that you are not speaking to it personally, but it has to emanate from somewhere. Okay. Because wouldn't it be in Ohio state's best interest to have him go as high as possible? Yes. I agree with that. Yes. Uh, there, there also, and this is getting into real speculative territory, right? But there, there also is the idea that these coaches also want to have credibility with NFL teams. You know, they have lots of other prospects, and they will have prospects every year. Um, they also have relationships. Some of these coaches want to work in the NFL at some point, right? So there's, there's all little tentacles to this this idea and some of these notions that, that we can at least consider. But I agree on the whole, right. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense necessarily, you know, at a glance, I get it. But if you drill down a little bit, you could see some, some ways where there, there might be some, there might be some methods of, or, or motivations, put it that way. There might be some motivations um, where people might be more honest. So, you know, we'll see. Steven, last one for me. Um, how much do you think this draft should be about you support the quarterback at all costs, like second, third round, fourth round? I mean, if you look at Andrew Luck uh, after that draft, it's w- well documented, you know, all the offensive picks they made. I mean, hell, even if you go back to the Peyton Manning draft, um, there were a lot of o- offensive picks made right after the selection of Manning. You know, if you look purely at the Colts roster, corner is a massive need. But how much do you juggle? Yes, you really need a cornerback, and a cornerback is a premium position, but you also need to go all in on fully supporting your your young QB. No, I actually I actually like that idea of really doubling down on this QB. I, I think you can get that corner next year if you if you end up having to do that, right? I mean, are, are the Colts are the Colts winning the Super Bowl this year? Hell no, right? So, so this should be about the quarterback because you want to know in a couple of years, you want to know what you have. And the only way you're truly going to know that is if you do right by this quarterback. That is what I believe. And, and it's interesting. You mentioned the 2012 draft. It's something that we don't give enough credit for to Ryan Grigson. He figured that out. And to his credit, he actually went all in on Andrew Luck. He bet on Andrew Luck in that draft. Now, Andrew Luck versus RG3, I will always say, was a Jim Ursay decision, ultimately. Ultimately, right? Doesn't mean everybody else wasn't on board. But even if you take that decision out of Ryan Grigson's hands, they still went and got T.Y. Hilton and the tight ends, and they did a great job of betting on the quarterback and, and going all in and doubling down on his talents. Maybe they're not getting Andrew Luck in this particular draft. I don't know. But, but whoever they get, they need to maximize the opportunity and potential for that player to succeed, and that is how you do it. And frankly, this team under Chris Ballard has not – done right by the quarterback in many instances i feel last year being the latest example i would agree so yeah it's time for that to change that is i think that has been chris ballard's i think biggest blind spot is is thinking that the quarterback or almost almost operating like the quarterback um functions in a vacuum and, and that it's not all interwoven, right? It is. It's completely interwoven, and they're dependent on one another. You can't 
you can't skate by at right guard and think there's no impact on the quarterback. Just for an example. Steven, this draft, the Colts have how many picks? Um, I, I believe it's I believe it's seven. Is it seven, Kevin? I can't yeah, remember. Three in round yeah. five, none in six, two in seven, so maybe nine, eight. Oh, that's right. Like that. I forgot about that. Yeah, okay. You're right. So the question that I have for you, Stephen Holder, would be this. We know theoretically, and unless something seismic happens, that with their first pick, they're going to go quarterback. How deep into the draft then do you believe you get to where they shift from like need and strictly mm-hmm. into the best player available at that spot? Or do they have critical needs that are going to run for them all the way through the draft? Yeah, well, I think we can go back to their history. I think Chris Ballard's history in this area, it's a good question. And I think if you look at how he has operated, I think the answer is relatively clear. They definitely target needs, I think, through round four, generally. And sometimes it it may be three, sometimes it might be five, but roughly round four. I mean, look at last year. Let's see what was they went with. They had a they had a tight end and the tackle in the third round. So I mean those were needs, right? So I think well into the third round they were they were still picking needs. They've done it into the fourth as well. I think the fourth round is roughly where you're talking about, and and it's worked for them. I will say because on the back half of the draft, what they do is they just they just pick you know their type of athlete. You know, the type of athletes that they prefer, that the Colts tend to to lean toward, they pick them in the, the back half of those rounds, you know, at positions where they could use some depth. And sometimes it's not a position where they need depth. It's just a really good player they like. And that has worked out. And I, I think if you're, if you're targeting needs in the back half in those late, later rounds, it gets problematic because those are imperfect players, which tells me, they are probably unlikely to contribute right away. Sometimes they do. Rodney Thomas did that last year uh, as a seventh-round pick. But that typically doesn't happen unless you get lucky. So you're looking there for players you can develop. And if you're doing a good job of developing them, they will play you know, within a few years. But in terms of day one impact, that's going to have to come from those first three rounds, maybe fourth round. Anything beyond that, you got a little bit lucky. And Stephen Holder casting for Bring It On 7, I believe is what um, he was doing over the <laughs> weekend right. in uh, cheerleader Great auditions point. for the Colts. Yeah, uh-huh. beating me out for that role there. No ill will <laughs> against him. Uh, Stephen, we'll see you later today up at the Complex. All right, guys. It's a tough job, but you know. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> right, exactly. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. 
Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Now, Kevin, I'm pretty certain it's Gary. We, we need to ask her about Gary. Oh, on the canine front? I, I think it was Gary. I hope Gary's still around. Not significant other, but but the Kristen's dog, I believe, Correct, is Gary. Yeah. On top of the draft coverage, that was outstanding. I did think Gary was barking in the background last year. <laughs> Kristen Peak, are we totally off base on that, or do you have a dog named Gary? I do indeed have a dog named Gary. Um, he's actually quite infamous in the NBA scout executive circle. There, every time I see an NBA scout on the road, it's, oh, how, how's it going? Did you get in okay? Where were you? Uh, how's Gary? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we don't want to talk, you know, Scoot Henderson, Brandon Miller. We were talking about Gary. That's right. Gary's cool. What kind of dog is Gary? He's a Cavapoo, so half Cavalier, King Charles Spaniel, half Poodle. Yeah. He's like sitting, looking out the window, trying to find birds right now. So. Gary's got the life, yeah. right? Gary's got the hell of a way to start a Wednesday hey, morning. Kristen, I want to begin with this, and thank you for your time, by the way. Kristen Peak of Yahoo Sports joins us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline to talk NBA draft. The Indiana Pacers, we know, you know, they're going to be in the lottery to try to get themselves into the top four. Realistically, in this year's draft, to get a transcendent franchise level player, a team needs to be picking within how many of the top pick? Transcending franchise player, I would say two. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know, um, and, and when people are, I know, I know, I made the case for Brandon Miller at number two, but that was more of a fit for a team that's looking for more length and shooting, other than um, playmaking and uh, speed in terms of what Scoot Henderson brings. Well, I feel like Brandon Miller actually is designed more for what in in other words i don't think brandon miller i think it's very clear that webb and Miyama and and you tell me if you're if i'm wrong on this and scoot henderson are your top two unless indiana for example sneaks into two because i could see them taking brandon miller because they desperately need wing length more than they need dynamic guard play exactly i mean indiana is a team that would take a look at brandon miller i also think houston with Jalen Green and also uh, Kevin Porter Jr. there already kind of locked in at the guard position would take a look at Brandon Miller, um, possibly even Detroit, even though I think you could move Cade to the two and just kind of go back and forth between Jaden Ivey and Scoot Henderson. Even though they're very similar players, they also might take a look at Brandon Miller. So, uh, yeah, two is where it gets interesting. And this draft lottery, I cannot wait for it on May 16th. In the, in the sense where there's going to be one team that is elated and knowing that this could possibly change their entire franchise and the future of what direction they're going. And then you're going to have two or three other teams that are just like, okay, now what? That, that was a good run. Now what do we do? And then also at 10, seeing if Dallas and what they did the last two weeks of the season if that pays off and they keep their pick inside the top 10 or if they fall to 11 and the Knicks get the pick. So I I cannot wait for this draft lottery night here in, in 
less than a month now. Yes, yeah, seventh. That's where the Pacers are in the lottery standings. Again, the mother of Gary, NBA Draft Insight, Kristen <laughs> Peake, joining us here on the Payless Sickers Hotline. Kristen, as I look at the Pacers, obviously they could go one, two, three, four, um, more likely, kind of seven, eight, nine, somewhere in, in that range. When you're talking that range, in my opinion, considering how poor this team was on the defensive end of the floor this year, that should be a bit of the focus, kind of in that wing four, you know, sort of position as well. If you're talking about defensive minded guys, could you give us a few names to watch that could be in that area? Yep. Yeah, there's two players. One, which is kind of sneaking up further, further, the more, the closer we get to the draft. I'll start with one who's kind of been consistently in that range. And I just saw him in Houston uh, for the final four. I saw him work out. Uh, Jairus Walker, uh, the Houston forward who, you know, when you're talking about defensive versatility, he has it. And he's someone who already has an NBA-ready body at 6'8", 240 pounds, um, did not look like a freshman this year in the way that he was banging down low and his footwork is so good off the block. He doesn't necessarily have that game extended past the three point line yet, but he's a good enough spot up shooter where I think that's something that he could develop to. But when we're talking defensive versatility, I mean, he can slide with the guard off the switch. He obviously has the size to bang down low with some of the bigger players. So I think that's one player that the Pacers will probably try to target. And then another player that a lot of teams are really high on is Taylor Hendricks from UCS, Central Florida, who kind of came out of nowhere this season. Um, you know, 6'9", 210. When we look at that 3 and D position and that positionless basketball that Scotty Barnes has started to, you know, kind of create in terms of with size, they're kind of the similar size, but... With Taylor, I mean, he is so good defensively, and he can shoot it a little bit better as well. So that's another team, or that's another player that a lot of teams are looking at and, and starting to hone in on further up the lottery. So at six, seven, eight, those two players are are two players that I think that the Pacers will probably try to target. Okay, three players of local interest from a collegiate standpoint, Kristen Peake, that I want to ask you about. We will begin with the one that probably hears his name first. And that's Jalen Hood Shafino out of Indiana. Yep. Probably what, mid teens? Is that safe to say? Yeah. I mean, he finished the season strong. You know, he was dealing with a lower back injury, just that was kind of like pestering him a little bit in the beginning of the season. So it took him a little bit to kind of get into the chemistry with the rest of the guards. But, you know, the one two uh, uh, guard forward playmaking that he had with Trace Jackson Davis to close out the season really gave NBA teams a good indication of what he can be as that lead ball handler and the way he reads the pick and roll, because that's all the game is, you know, the NBA level, a lot of it with the spacing and and the reads off that offense. So, and he can make three point jump shots. And I saw him at the Chris Paul camp last summer and he was locking down Devin Booker and Chris Paul and Chris Paul was like, man, he's tough. He's going to be tough in the league. So when we're looking for that defensive mindset, in the league and someone that can guard consistently the one and the two, Jalen Hitchafino has, and I think that's why he could possibly sneak into the lottery. But, yeah, that team spot is where he's at. Okay, Trace Jackson Davis, probably early second, safe to say? I would say early second. You know, it always goes with fit. I could see a team taking him at that 28, 29, 30 just to add a little more experience. You know, he's a plug-and-play guy, a little bit older um, I, I want to say that his footwork got a lot better from last year to this year. And, you know, we saw him a little bit more consistent down the stretch. Um, but, yeah, he 
he definitely has every time he went back, he got better. And that's what NBA teams want to see is not any a player plateauing. They always want to see someone getting a little bit better, a little bit better. And that's what Trace did. Can teams see something from a player after the season is over? In other words, Kristen, with Trace Jackson Davis, you know, there was a lot of narrative of he hasn't shown enough that he can play facing the basket or that he can score in the mid-range or on the wing. And Trace Jackson Davis, I think, would contend, well, I didn't have to do that at Indiana, I, right. so that doesn't mean I can't. Can If he does it like just in workouts and camps, is that enough to sell teams, or are they still going to say, look, we, we had to see it in actual game action? No, absolutely. I mean, every year at the NBA Draft Combine, we see one or two players that make themselves millions of dollars. We saw it last year with Jalen Wilson or Jalen Williams, excuse me, who uh, was, Santa, was from Santa Clara, and he played his way into a lottery pick and was very, very effective as a rookie for Oklahoma City Thunder. So those, those games, those scrimmages at uh, the draft combine really do matter, and teams really do take into consideration if there's a player that elevates their game far above everyone else or if they see something. David Roddy from Colorado State was another player, you know, that kind of, played his way into a first-round pick last year, and that was with the Memphis Grizzlies. So there is still time. There, I mean, teams have not made up their decision yet, by far. By far, they're far from it. Again, Kristen Peek with us, Yahoo Sports, rounding out that trio of locals. Um, we'll see if he keeps his name in the draft. Uh, but Zach Eady from Purdue, obviously, Kristen, dominant in college basketball last season. Um, you know, body types like him are super unique. His fit in the NBA will be very fascinating to see uh, whenever that happens. Um, early talks, what have you heard, Zach Eady, potentially at the next level? I mean, it's so it's so interesting with a player like Zach Eady just because his size, like you said, he's so unique. Do I think that there's a place for him? Yes. Do I think it's necessarily on a rotational NBA roster? I don't think right away. I think he's going to have to develop a little bit more of an NBA game and pace and get a little bit more better footwork, especially speed, because they're going to target him defensively, right? And he can't just pack in the lane. I mean, he can, but I think it helps that Luca Garza has found uh, success at the NBA level because everyone was saying, oh, he's not an NBA player. He's not an NBA player. Even Taco Fall, you know, for that, for a couple seasons with Boston, he found a little bit of success. So I do think that there is a place for him. I don't know if he'll get drafted. If he will, it'll be at the second half, back half of the second round. Um, but yeah, just in terms of what he can bring and his skill set is so unique, I think there is a team that would take a chance. Where are we at on the Brandon Miller off the court front? Like when you have talked with NBA teams, their level of concern with Brandon Miller off the floor is where? I mean, you have to remember that NBA teams also have teams of lawyers that dove you know, so much deeper than we have into this case. So they're doing their own due diligence. They're doing their own background and research. Brandon Miller is probably only going to talk to three teams. And look, it's going to be, it's going to be one of those sessions. He's going to have to answer a lot of hard questions, but because he's projected so high, it's not going to have to be five, six, seven teams. His agent and his team is, they're going to be very selective as to after the draft lottery, who he talks to. But he is going to have to sit and answer a lot of questions as to why he was there, why he was mentioned, what was his part, um, how does this affect his character moving forward. 
um, and everything like that because, you know, and then right after that, the, the thing with John Moran, I mean, I think the NBA is really taking this sort of thing very seriously and he is going to have to answer about where he's at right now. I don't know in terms of the trial, like, what he's going to do if he's going, if the defense team or is going to try to, or sorry, the prosecution is going to try to get him as a witness, or I don't, I don't know any of those details yet, but you know, the NBA is just doing their due diligence and scouting him who he is as a player on the court, which he, you know, after the news broke, he had 41 points in the game winner against South Carolina, but also he's going to have to answer for himself of his involvement off the court. Well, I'll tell you what, his, in the latter part of the season, the last month or so, especially the NCAA tournament, Brandon Miller's shooting absolutely went south. I mean, oh, it was tournament, a tournament. He was awful. Yeah, he mm-hmm. was bad in the tournament. The, the, yes. But that doesn't hurt him, though, right? I hate to say that, but, I mean, don't they basically draft? I mean, we have seen the potential, right? And, like, enough body of work was displayed, correct? Absolutely, yes. And and I know NBA, I know NBA fans probably just tuned into the tournament, and they're like, this is a top three pick. He went scoreless in the first game and went, I think he shot only like 22% from three the other two games and wasn't really effective or productive offensively. And the thing is, is yes, like they look at the full body of work and also he's only 20 years old. So they're looking at the upside and potential and defensively. I mean, he, there was a game against Auburn late in the season. They were down at home by like 15, 16 points. And it was Brandon Miller's defense that turned it into offense that really turned the game around and they came back and won the game. So um, teams really look at the complete body of work and not necessarily just what he does on a big stage like the NCAA tournament. Again, it's at Kristen Peak. That's K-R-Y-S-T-E-N-P-E-E-K on Twitter. Yahoo Sports, uh, the combine less than a month away, lottery right around that time, and the draft coming up on June 22nd. Hey, what breed is Gary? Again, I'm going to look this up. <laughs> He's a cavapoo. C-A-V-A-P-O-O. He's behaved tremendously by all accounts here over the last 10, 15 oh, minutes. I, he's, he's, he's sleeping. I know. he's not, I, I can't remember what time we talked last time, but I knew I was getting on with you guys, so I gave him a treat. He's like, okay. So Gary's a point guard. He's a, he's a little guy, right? He's, he's like 18, 19 pounds. And hey, listen, his mother just had another litter of puppies. If anybody's interested... You hit me up on Twitter because uh, they're super cute, Look and the family from family from Utah they uh, they will bring you the puppy nationwide. They go all over. Wow! So if you want your own version of Scoot Henderson, that's right, Kristen Peak <laughs> right now on on Twitter, correct? Yes, yes. I love it. I love it, Kristen. Great stuff. Um, right now, NFL draft centric here in this market, but uh, it's another big one for the Pacers. We appreciate the insight you provided. It, it with would actually last year. be more like John Stockton. It's again, a point guard out of Utah. This Kevin, time, come on. <laughs> certainly, certainly on that front, uh, Kristen. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Have a good one.